Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Adversity may vary in its intensity, but one thing really every single one of us in here knows is that adversity is part of life. Pain, suffering, trials, and tragedy. These are some of the least favorite words in the English language, and yet we know that these words and what they represent are part of the world in which we live. The question is, how do we cope when these words become a part of our life? I know we look sometimes at uh, what seems to be a charmed life, and we think that person skates along and, and, and nothing ever happens to them. But, but I'm here to tell you today that nobody escapes adversity. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're so glad you've joined us today. Some of you may know that our pastor was involved in a serious accident almost two months ago and has been unable to be with us since then. So we're pretty excited that Pastor Clay is back preaching today. Prayer is a powerful thing, and you have prayed me here uh, today. If you're a regular to Crosswalk, you probably know that we've been spending 2014 walking through the book of Mark in a series entitled, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Well, today, however, Pastor Clay felt that his first week back, he needed to deal with the question of pain and adversity in the lives of believers, since it's been such a significant part of his life for the last two months. Adversity is an opportunity to glorify God. But here's what I also know. I also know that adversity, it is an opportunity for our enemy, our spiritual enemy, this real entity known as the devil or Satan to come into our lives and if possible, if he can do it, to knock us off of our spiritual moorings. We're glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. not going to make me cry. I have been crying. I've been, <laughs> I've been so emotional since this wreck. It's unbelievable. I cry. I came in this morning and the praise team was rehearsed and I just started bawling, listening to them worship the Lord and singing songs. But uh, thank you. I know that that applause uh, was to the glory of God, not to me, but to the glory of God for all that he has done. And can I just say to you, uh, you have prayed me into this place today. Your faithfulness has prayed me into this place today, I'm telling you. So many people have done so many things, and, and there's so much that I could say, and, um, and so much that I will say, I'm sure, in the time ahead, but, um, but I just want to say thank you to, to all of you for, for what you have, have done. Now, uh, two months ago, <laughs> two months ago we were in Mark chapter 10. No. no, we're not going to Mark chapter 10 today. I, I told Tyler to play the bump video. We'll play a little joke on I mean, I just, But I just can't. I, I know I can't. It was, it's hard to believe. Almost two months ago, we were in Mark chapter 10. And we will return to that series. And, and several of the, the guys that have filled in so spectacularly uh, have, have been in Mark chapter 10. But uh, 
but I was in a particular part in the first part of Mark chapter 10. We're going to go back there uh, starting next week. But I felt like this first week, uh, it was just uh, not going to be possible to maybe just jump right back into that. Maybe I need to talk a little bit about this, about what all has happened to me. And many of you have come by to see me at the hospital or at the house and have heard you know, some of the stories, but I know many people have had questions and, and want to know, you know, my condition and that sort of thing. So I felt like I needed to talk a little bit about that, uh, but then also uh, just, just remind you of some things God's been reminding me of uh, through this. Uh, if, you're, if you're part of the cross-culture, regular part of cross-culture, you know that I, I love to preach expositionally. I love to preach through a, a text, but I, I'm not going to do that today. It's more of a topical kind of reminder to you and, and to me of... of of how God is faithful in the midst of our uh, adversity. Um, but, uh, uh, hey, um, a lot of you know this, but uh, my first book is out. Uh, I have a, uh, my first book is out. I, I appreciate it very much. I, I appreciate my, my wife's patience, and so many of you are part of this. Deborah Martin uh, edited much of this text for me, and, and uh, so we finally birthed this baby, and uh, it was available earlier this week on electronic versions, Kindle and Amazon and Apple iBooks and that kind of stuff. Uh, they sent me a few uh, uh, cover, hard copies at this point. It's a paperback, but they sent me some hard copies. But I'm going to be ordering some because a lot of you have asked for a copy of it and certainly would like to make uh, that available to you. But I want to appreciate, I know some of you, a lot of you have prayed for me during this and, and, and continue to pray that my prayer is that God would, would use this. The premise of the book is that uh, God promises things like peace and contentment and joy and, and purpose and, and meaning, uh, knowing the, the need or the ability to not be anxious, to not have fear in our lives. God promises those things. So why do so many people I meet not have those things? If God promises them and says those things he wants us to have, what, what, is, what is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores, and um, it's not a deep theological treatise. It's an easy read and uh, that sort of thing. It was intended to be written that way. But my prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He, will, he wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. And I know a lot of us are stressed out and anxious and, and wrung out and, and all of those things. So anyway, you'd be praying that, that God would use that. And I'll just tell you this. I told a couple folks already this morning, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all if, if I made some money off of this. It, it wouldn't. I'd love, uh, it would it'd be okay. But, uh, but whatever God wants to do with it, that's okay. But one of the ways that you can help me, because people have asked me, how can we help you get your book out there? I know several of you put it out on social media, on your Facebook page. Saying, Thank you for doing that. But you can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from some guy named Clay Stevens? I, I don't know, but I've heard it's really good. Um, and I've told, I told you it's really good. So now you have really heard that it's really good. So, but the bookstores, they don't know me, right? They don't know me. I'm not a national speaker. I'm not a best-selling author or anything like that. They can order this book out of their, magazine, their catalogs that they get. But, uh, but if enough people perhaps went in and asked for it, maybe some of them would order it. And word of mouth kind of spreads like that. My prayer is that God would, would use it. So uh, thank you for all your help on that. Um, August the 14th. Uh, myself and Ed Alexander and uh, Steve Pierce were making our way across to North Carolina on motorcycles, just uh, enjoying a beautiful day, a beautiful ride, making our way up to the mountains 
uh, for the weekend. Uh, my mom has, owns a cabin up there, and we were going up there just to spend the weekend riding the parkway. Cindy and I enjoy riding motorcycles. We've done that for several years now, and, and some of you do as well, I know. And uh, we had stopped for lunch and had a good lunch, and we had just stopped to, to fuel up, and it fueled up. And, uh, you know, you go back roads. All of us were in agreement, you know, that interstate, you know, it's a lot faster. And you just, you know, I personally, I never felt as safe on interstate as I do on back roads. You're going slower, and uh, you just feel like it's a safer place to be. We were going through a little town called Rural Hall, North Carolina, and um, minding our own business, just really getting uh, closer to heading into the mountains and uh, uh, traffic coming from the other way. A car uh, had slowed uh, to turn uh, left. The vehicle behind it recognized that and slowed. The vehicle behind that vehicle uh, did not recognize it. The young lady, from what I understand, uh, was texting and uh, looking down, can I just take the opportunity to say this to you? If you text when you drive, stop. Don't do it. Don't do it. it it's, it's not worth it, I'm telling you. And listen, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I, I used to text some when I was driving, but no more. It, it's not worth it, folks. It, it'll wait. Uh, she was texting and uh, slammed into the car in front of her at the, the state trooper estimated about 42 miles an hour. Uh, just as I was there, and it immediately turned, when she slammed in that car, it immediately turned it straight into me, straight into my, my lane of traffic. And so I, I basically hit that, that SUV, a small SUV, head on. I had a slight angle, but, but head on. When I hit it, I, I immediately, I felt the impact on my leg. I, I, it, you know, it all happened instantaneously, but as I've told several people, in my mind, it was in slow motion. The whole thing was, I still see it in slow motion. Uh, the whole time, but, but I hid. I knew my, my, everything down here was bad, uh, and I can remember holding on to the front of the handlebars for a split second, um, but then I went flying over the handlebars and went flying through the air, landed on my, on my back and on my head, and I believe that's what then caused the multiple fractures to my shoulders when I hit, uh, hit the ground uh, there. It hit my head very hard. I just got to tell you again, just the, the the providence uh, of God, and, and, you know, I know this is a very mysterious thing, and we'll, we'll talk maybe briefly about this today. Um, God uh, did not make that young lady text that day, uh, but God knew that that accident was coming. God was ahead of it. Uh, Cindy had just bought me a brand new helmet about three weeks before uh, for my birthday. I wanted a new helmet with Bluetooth, and I got her one so that we could talk while we were riding together and, and that sort of thing. And uh, the helmet fits so tightly, so snugly on my head that I was even complaining about it on the ride up there. After a while, I was thinking, man, this thing is so tight. I can't stand it. I'm telling you, God used that helmet and the tightness of that helmet to save my life. Uh, Because I hit the ground. If you see the helmet, how gnarled up it is in the back and even on the front. But I I flipped three times and hit my head uh, very hard each time. Hard enough that I can remember verbally going, ugh when I hit the ground, but there, my head was not sore, it did not hurt, there was no, the EMTs, the doctors, none of them could believe that I didn't have neck and, and head injuries, and, uh, and so I really believe that God was, was ahead of that. Um, I told some people this morning, it feels funny to have pants on. <laughs> I, I had, two months ago, I lay in the street in rural hall, North Carolina, just where they, and they cut everything off of me that there was to cut off of me. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I'm sure it was for the town of Rural Hall, North Carolina, but uh, that was the last time I had pants on, so 
it, it felt funny to put pants on this morning. So, sorry, I know we're having some technical difficulties with the lights, but uh, hopefully the, the uh, school is working on that and they'll get that kind of stuff fixed. But y'all can see me even if I can't see you, right? <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, I, I lay there and I never lost consciousness. Uh, as far as I know, I never lost consciousness. Uh, I knew I was in a great deal of pain. I, I knew I was hurting. Um, I knew I couldn't move. When, when I landed I, and I slid to a stop, my bike slid uh, j- just off to my right, maybe, I don't know, six feet from me. I, I'm not sure now at this point. And the bike was on fire. It was burning. And, uh, and I remember people yelling, move him, the bike's on fire. And other people yelling, you can't move him, he might be injured. And um, uh, again, I think just part of just the providence of God, but, but my... My, my brother Steve Pierce, uh, my, my, my loose cannon brother, I just never know what he's going to do. Uh, within, within eight, ten seconds, uh, after I felt like I came to a slide and just stopped, there was Steve standing between me and the bike. And uh, he's yelling, you're going to be all right, pasta. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right, pasta. You're going to be fine. And uh, <clears throat> I thought easy for him to say. Yeah, <laughs> not really. I, I didn't think that, but I just remember his words over and over and over again, telling me I was going to be all right. I was going to be all right. And he stood between me and and the motorcycle that was on fire. But but the accident came to a stop right in front of an automotive garage, and within 20 seconds, uh, the owner of the garage was out there with a fire extinguisher and uh, had extinguished the fire on the on the motorcycle. And I knew it was bad. I knew I was in pain. I knew I was hurting. Everything on my left side. <clears throat> I uh, I. It turns out I had, I think, two broken toes, a crushed heel, multiple fractures on both the bones up my leg, uh, broken or dislocated um, kneecap, uh, one broken finger, partial amputation on my little finger. It doesn't look too weird, does it? Uh, uh, Multiple fractures on my shoulder. I I didn't know all that immediately, but I knew I was in pain. The first time that I knew that it really was serious uh, was in the ambulance and was riding to the ambulance. And again, can I just say, again, the providence of God. Uh, we were 17 miles, when the accident occurred, we were 17 miles um, from uh, Wake Forest uh, Baptist University, a level one trauma center. There aren't a lot of level one trauma centers around uh, in this state. And had it happened somewhere else in some other remote place, I, I don't know. But, uh, but I just attribute that to, to God's goodness. And, and uh, in the ambulance, they were taking me there and, um, and I heard the ambulance, the, the attendee EMT that was working on me, I heard him uh, talking to the hospital. And when I heard him say, uh, possible probable amputation, that's when I knew, uh, okay, this, this is probably life changing. This is probably life altering. And I, I remember beginning to think about, you know, well, what, what will I do without a leg? What, I guess they'll fix me some fake leg, prosthesis or something, and I, I learned to walk on that. But that was when I really began to, to think about how serious it was. And, um, and then once I got there and when Cindy got there and everybody else, and just to say um, the, the month in the hospital, almost a month in the hospital, y'all's acts of kindness, your generosity, the cards, the gifts, um, the provisions that you made at the hospital and since we've been home, uh, the wheelchair ramps that was ready when we, when we got home, uh, all the things that you have done, physically, materially, and then added to that the prayers that have so constantly been lifted up by the children of this church, 
by the adults of this church, and, and really by thousands of people. We, we've heard of people all over the world that have prayed for me. And so I say to you, prayer is a powerful thing. And you have prayed me here uh, today, and, and I'm grateful. If you'll continue to pray for me and, and my recovery, it, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, but, but through this, this process, you know, I, you think about a lot of stuff, right? I, I mean, you, th- you think about a, a lot of stuff. And one of the things that, that you think about is adversity. Now, adversity comes in different shapes, in different sizes. Adversity may vary in its intensity at times. But one thing, really, every single one of us in here knows is that adversity is part of life, isn't it? Adversity is part of life. As a matter of fact, I would dare say that there are some of you sitting here this morning that cannot remember a time when your life didn't have adversity in it. I know we look sometimes at uh, what seems to be a a charmed life and when we think that person skates along and and nothing ever happens to them. But but I'm here to tell you today, to remind you today that, that nobody escapes adversity. As I said, it may vary in its intensity, and we may not always know what's going on in a person's life, but man, adversity comes. I will freely confess to you that this is the the hardest thing uh, that I have ever, and I think that my wife would say that she has ever endured in in our lives. And I know that I I still have a a long road in front of me. I, I know that. But one of the things I've learned about adversity is that adversity is an opportunity to glorify God. I know that it is, but here's what I also know. I also know that adversity, when it comes into our lives, it is an opportunity for our enemy, our spiritual enemy, this real entity known as the devil or Satan. It is an opportunity for him to come into our lives, and if possible, if he can do it, to to knock us off of our spiritual moorings. Do you know what I mean? To... To, to get us away from, from God or our faith or our, our whatever, I, I know that Satan can use adversity and will attempt to use adversity in that way. Now, Job is a guy that knew a little something about adversity. If you're not familiar with the story, and some of you may not be, but if you're not familiar with the story, Job is this guy that we read about in the Old Testament who was... Uh, I think it's safe to say, was, was highly blessed of God in, in a lot of ways, but certainly very uh, physically, very materially, uh, Job had been blessed. And Job loved God. Job worshipped God. Job served God. And it was from a genuine heart. And we know that. We know that certainly by the time we get to the end of the book. And I think it would not be incorrect to say that, that God was proud of Job, proud of his, of his devotion to the Lord, proud of his... his uh, his worship of him, it was so authentic, it was so genuine, everything about it. And God was, was, was proud of Job, so much so that he even, he even bragged on Job to Satan. If you've read the story, you, you know what happens. Satan claims, well, the only reason Job likes you, the only reason he worships you, the only reason he cares anything about you is because of the way that you have blessed him. If you take those blessings away, if you let me take those blessings away, he'll curse you. He'll flat out curse you. 
because it's just all about the money. It's all about what you've given him. That's the only reason he cares about you, God. And so God allows Satan to attack Job and take everything that Job has, to take his family, to take his wealth, to take his health. Did you hear what I said? God allowed Satan to attack Job. Now that just opens up a whole big old can of worms, doesn't it? God allowed evil. God allowed uh, destruction. God allowed bad stuff to come into to this person's life who had done nothing but love him and serve him and be devoted to him. And God allowed that to happen. Listen, <laughs> I know that we're not even going to begin to attempt to to go into all of that today and answer those questions that, that have been asked really uh, almost since the beginning of time about some of those things. But I want to read to you from the last chapter of the book of Job, uh, just, just six verses I want to read to you. And I just want to remind you this morning, real briefly, I, I knew there wasn't going to be time to, to go into the book of Mark and um, uh, talk about that the way... I would like to. So I just wanted to remind you of a couple things today in the face of, of adversity and what God has taught me through my adversity. I, I know it's dark out there. The text will be up on the screen. If you have a, a copy of God's Word, you can open it if you want to, to Job chapter 42. And I just want to read to you. This is, this is at the end, okay? This is after all that he has gone through. This is all that he has experienced. And in Job chapter 42, y'all with me? I can't see y'all, so if you fall asleep this morning, I, I, can't, I can't do anything about it. And I was ready, too. I, I've got a horn on this thing. It's not very loud, but I, I was ready to give it to the... The youth went to a concert last night. Did y'all have a good time? Yeah, had a good time? Good. Well, I knew y'all would be falling asleep today, so I was ready with that horn. But it's not, it's not much. It's a weak horn. Uh, adversity. Job chapter 42, here's verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. <laughs> that would be a great place to stop, just right there, wouldn't it? Listen, this is after all that he's been through. We'll talk some more about it in a minute. But this is after all that he's been through. When God finally answers Job, not the way Job expected, but when he finally answers, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's really speaking of himself. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. God, I, I've spoken out of turn when I began to question what was going on in my life. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Father, uh, as we take a few moments just to talk about adversity and some things that I've learned, and I, I think some things that Job learned in the process of his adversity. Uh, my adversity has, has been nothing, Lord, really, compared to what 
someone like Job went through. And, and what even people, some of the people in this room have been through far worse adversity than I have been through, Lord God. Would you teach us uh, some just truth that we can hold on to today? I suspect in this room this morning there are hurting people, teenagers who are scared about their future and uncertain about what they're going to do, adults who are going through financial hardships and wondering how they're going to stay ahead of the creditors, people who are dealing with physical infirmities or diagnoses that are scary, to say the least. Help us to, to know this truth which Job said here. I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Lord, help us to know what we did not know, even in the midst of the adversity that we go through in our lives. If you'll teach us, we'll be so grateful. And we commit, I pray that we would commit to say, we'll take what you teach us and we'll try and use it and apply it to our lives. Father, I'm so grateful to, to be here this morning, to be your messenger boy to your people. It is a high and holy privilege that you have given me and one I do not take for granted. I'm so grateful for those who have and, and will in the future continue to preach your word besides me on this platform. But this is my passion. This is my calling. And I'm so grateful to still be here to do it. So uh, use me in any way possible, but just teach us uh, truth about adversity. It's something we can remember as we walk out of here today. And I ask it in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Let me just remind you uh, of, of a couple of, of things uh, this morning. With it, in regards to adversity. And the first one, I don't know if I can see this behind me, um, but the first one is this. In times of adversity, you've got to deny the why. In times of adversity in your life, I, I have learned this, you have to deny the why questions. I'm going to get around here where I can see this a little bit better, I think. Have no fear of me going off the end of the stage. Probably a little chance of that. Whoa! No. <laughs> Listen, one of the things that I have learned about us, you and me, is that we rarely ask why about good stuff. Have you noticed that? No, nobody asks, God, why did I get the fantastic, well-paying, wonderful job? God, why did I get this person that loves me so much when I see other people that, that are abandoned? God, why am I in such fantastic health? <laughs> we, we don't ask those questions, do we? Now, in, in, some, in some moment of, of uh, pondering appreciation for all the blessings that we have, a person might reflect on, on the goodness and the blessings that they have in their life, but rarely do we ask God why we have such good things in our lives. But let adversity come. Let financial crisis or, or, or a medical diagnosis or a, a, a family crisis or a marriage disintegration or a, a job situation, let, let adversity come. Let hard times come. Let situations like that, let bad things begin to come into our lives. And why questions are as prevalent in our lives as bad decisions are in Justin Bieber's life. God, why? God, why has this happened to me? God, why didn't I get that promotion? 
God, why didn't that person love me when they said they would forever? God, why, why am I being picked on? God, why did I lose my job? God, why won't you do something? You ever ask that one? The why questions come rushing into our life. And listen to me. Listen to me. They are absolutely toxic to your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. If you let those why questions come, and they will come, right? Listen, I, I will confess to you that there were, there were a couple of nights in the hospital when the pain was so severe that I thought I was going to lose my mind when I was trying to engage God in very active dialogue about if he's sure it wouldn't be better to just let me go on to heaven because I've heard it's really nice up there. But, but those why questions come crashing into life, and I'm telling you, they are absolutely toxic to your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. You have to learn to deny the why. Now, here's, here's at least a couple of reasons why they are so toxic. One, why questions focus on us and not God, right? Now, we may address the question to God, but come on. Who's it really about? It's about me. Why is this happening to me? Why am I having to go through this? Why don't you change this? I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm serving you. I'm trying to be faithful. Why, why can't this change? Why can't this get better? Why can't I get that promotion? Why can't I find somebody that will love me until death do us part? Why, 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 why? It's, it's really about me. It's not about God, and that is toxic to your relationship with God, because God did not create us to be self-focused and, and self-absorbed. God created us to be God-focused. That, that's actually how we are created, to be God-focused, and that when we are God-focused, we, we begin to understand the freedom and the liberation and, and, and all that comes with a relationship with God that brings the peace and the purpose and the commitment and all those things that I mentioned earlier, that brings all of those things into our lives. When we actually take our focus off of ourselves and onto God, I, I saw several of you tweet it last week from Eric Clary's message. Uh, he had a statement I thought was fantastic uh, where he said our prayers, uh, I don't know if I'm quoting it exactly, but he said our, our prayers need to be focused more on God and less on us or less on us or more on God, whichever way that he said it. And that's absolutely true. And it's true of just life in general, that, that because of our sin nature, because of the world that we live in, it's so easy to turn it to me, right? And the, and the why question just feeds that. It, it's so easy to just turn it to me and, and to focus on me. You, you, that's a formula for disaster with your relationship with God. Why questions focus on us and, and not God? Here, here's another part of the problem as well. Why questions pull us away from God? They, they do. They really, they pull us away from God. Central to this relationship, this thing that we have with God, this thing that I have with God, and if, and if you're here and you have this relationship with God, if, if you know him in that personal, intimate way through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, this thing that you have with him, this relationship, a, a central element, a, a corner element, an indispensable element in that relationship is faith. Faith. Maybe you've read this before, many of you have. The writer of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, says this, and it is impossible... To please God without, say that word, faith. Could I just get you to read that whole first sentence again with me out loud? 
And it is impossible to please God without faith. Watch this. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Faith is this indispensable element. As I've explained to people many times, and and a lot of y'all have heard me say this uh, numerous times, it is not a check your brains at the door faith. It is not a blind faith that, that some people have a, about different things. It is a faith that is, that is built on empirical, historical data. Excellent evidences for the existence of God and for the resurrection of Christ and for the validity of His Scripture and, and, and for the reality of heaven. All of these things. It's, it's not a blind faith, but it is a faith nonetheless. God isn't physically standing here before us this morning, is he? Most of us won't audibly hear him speak when he speaks. So it is faith, and and listen to me, God wouldn't have it any other way. Faith is the indispensable element in this relationship. It's the key. Why questions remove faith? They destroy the element of faith. Why? Because why questions demand an answer. I want to know why. I want to know why this is happening. I want to know why I'm going through this. I want to know uh, why you haven't done anything yet. I want to know why I didn't get the job. We demand answers that don't require any faith. And what did we read? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. And so, uh, and so uh, the why questions will pull us away from God. By the way, other thing, not only do they remove the faith element from our lives, but the other thing that they do is, is why questions really call into question the very judgment, the very nature, the very justice of God, don't they? Because when we say, God, why, why, didn't, I, why didn't I get that promotion? What are we really saying? God, I wanted that promotion and you didn't make it happen, right? Isn't, isn't that really? God, why did I get the cancer diagnosis or someone I love why did they get the cancer diagnosis what are we really saying God I didn't want this it stinks and you let it happen why questions call into question the very nature and wisdom and holiness and purity and goodness of God and so I mean we have to learn to deny the why questions now here's a couple ideas real quickly of how you could do that Here's what will happen if we don't. Why questions will lead to doubt in God. And it'll be a progression like that. I'm telling you if, you, if you entertain these why questions, if you just let them keep coming and in your mind you keep saying them, why questions will lead to first to doubt. Well, what is God doing? What is, I don't understand. And then that'll, that'll turn into anger. And then finally into resentment. I don't, I don't know. I haven't had a quiet time in, in six months. Why should I? I haven't seen anything God's done for me lately. Right? So listen, here's what we need to do. Uh, Oh yeah, thanks, thanks Tyler. Uh, I meant to bring this up, to come back to Job. If you're familiar with the story, you know, like I said, everything that happened to Job, all the bad, all the stuff that, you know, healthy sores all over his body and he lost his family and all the cattle and the sheep and all the stuff that he had. And it all just happened like that. It's like my wreck. I'm I'm just riding along and and then it's just, you're in it. And, and this, this response in Job 121, this is Job's response immediately after the calamity 
the tragedy, the adversity that comes into his life. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That just may be the greatest declaration of faith in the entire Bible. But, you know what happened? If if you've read the story, you know what happened. Job's friends show up, and at first they're okay, they're just sitting with him, they're, they're consoling him, and they're just, you know. But then they begin to introduce what? The why questions. Job, why did this happen to you? Come on, Job. Clearly, this God is doing this to you. Why is God doing this to you, Job? You've been up to something, you've done something wrong. Now, listen, the Bible is very clear that Job never sinned. Uh, in, in this whole progression, God intervened and, and spoke into Job's heart and life. And as we read there in verse uh, 1 through 6 of chapter 42, he came to the realization, uh, to this deep theological realization. This is true for all of us. We, we all need to get a hold of this idea. Here it is. God is God and I am not. Now, I, I don't know if you understand how, practically speaking, the importance of that theological truth is for your life. God is God and I am not. Job came to that realization, but, but his buddies introduced the why question, and it began, you at least get the indication, it began to, to, to bring Job to this place of questioning, you know, the, the very justice of God, and, and Job said, I, I want to stand before my accuser, if I've done something wrong, I, I want to know what it is, and, and fortunately for Job, God intervened, and it's, it really is kind of a comical uh, part of the story when you read as God begins to speak and, and, and gives Job, as I said earlier, the answer he needs instead of the answer that he really wants. But, um, l- let, me, let me go on. Here's what, here's what needs to happen. Uh, why questions uh, focus on us, not God? Uh, why questions pull us away from God? And here's what we need to do. Why questions need to be consciously rejected? This is what you need to do. Because I said earlier, the problem is, you don't have to do anything for the why questions to come, right? They just come. They crowd into your heart. You want to know the answers to them. You have to consciously reject the why questions. And I, and I tell people this, and all, y'all know this, I've said this a lot to some of you. You have to, if necessary, and if you're at a place where people won't think you're insane, you have to say it out loud. You have to say no. When, when that question comes rushing into your mind, you have to consciously say no. I choose I consciously choose not to allow my mind to go to the why direction because I'm never going to get the answers for those why questions that I want. They're not going to honor God. They're not going to build up my faith. And so I will not allow myself to go in that direction. I will reject the why questions. You have to do it consciously. And every time they come, and again, and again, and again, and again, and every time, every time they come. And listen, can I tell you this? I know I've I know I got I to hurry here, but, but get in the habit of doing it all the time. I mean, even for things that you think are minor. You, you get stuck in traffic and your mind says, oh, why did I have to get in this traffic jam? You've you got to learn to start saying, no, I will not question why I'm stuck in this traffic jam. The sovereignty of God is a thing I can trust in. His power, His love, His, all those things, I, 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 I will reject that. I will not ask the why question. Second, um, you have to, why questions need to be intentionally replaced. Now, there are some questions we can ask, and I'll, I'll briefly go over those real quick in just a minute. But, but you need to replace the why questions with the Word of God. Because the why questions basically are going to lead you to a lie. God doesn't care. God's not there. God doesn't, 
is not going to intervene. God's not at work. God's, they're, they're basically going to lead you to a lie. I'm just telling you, it's where why questions are going to take you. The Word of God is going to take you to the very character, the very nature of who God is. And so you have to intentionally replace those why questions. You need to open God's Word and begin to read passages, whether it's in the Psalms or, or, or the New Testament or something that you read out of the law, something that, that you read that talks about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the mercy of God, the, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God. You read those things over and over and over again, and you exchange the lie for the truth, which then builds your what? Faith. For, the, for dealing with the adversity that you face. So, you have to choose. I choose to reject the why questions. Now, real quickly, here, here's the, the second part of this this morning. In times of adversity, you need to declare the how and what questions. Those are the good ones. Those are the ones we, we want to ask about this kind of stuff. Those are the questions we need to ask. Questions like this. Questions like, uh, God, uh, how can you use this for your kingdom purposes? Any of y'all ever asked that when you lost your job? God, what way can I bring you the greatest honor and glory through this adversity in my life? God, what can you teach me through this that will bring me into a more intimate relationship with you? Is it possible that God can take your adversity and draw you closer to it? You sure get that indication from Job, don't you, at that, at that last there in verse 5 and 6? As Job says... I, 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 I knew about you, I heard about you, but now I've seen you through his adversity. God, how can I, I learn through this to be content in my circumstances? Those are the kind of questions, the how and the why questions. Those are the kind of questions that we need to be asking because, number one, those kind of questions honor God. They will bring honor to God because, because you're asking about him. The focus is not on you any longer. It's on him. God, how do you want to expand your kingdom through this? God, what can you teach me through this? God, how can I be drawn closer to you as a result of this adversity in my life? No matter what it is. Does that make sense? How and what questions to your adversity honor God? Second thing that the how and what questions do is they bring ministry opportunity to you. That's what I've discovered. Listen, I... I'll, I'll say this to you, by the grace of God, I began to ask the how and what questions early on in, in this process. Not that I didn't have my weak moments and, and that sort of thing. I began to ask the how and what questions early on in, in my hospital bed. I, I don't know the answer to those questions at, at this point. I, I don't know that I'll ever know the answer to those questions. I, I may never fully know what God wants to do. I, I can look and see how God has used this already. Uh, several people have, have indicated to Cindy and I how, how encouraged they've been through, through what we've gone through. And Cindy's been so faithful to, to write uh, daily reminders or write-ups about how God is working or how we've come through a situation. And a lot of people have indicated to us how they've been encouraged and, and even, even strengthened in their faith as a result of it. And we've had opportunity to testify of the goodness of the Lord to lots of doctors and, and nurses and, and I don't know who all through the process. So I know of some good things that I can look at and say, well, we've done some good through some of this stuff. But I really don't have a clue in the end uh, what all will come out of this or how all God will use this. But I do know that it will provide ministry opportunities to you and me because, listen, do you know anybody that doesn't have adversity in their life? Do you know anybody that doesn't have adversity in their life? Right? It doesn't matter. Follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, uh, 
hates God, loves God, rich, poor, young, old. I don't know of anybody that doesn't have adversity in their lives. And as followers of Christ, we get a hold of this idea that I'm not going to ask why. I'm going to ask what. I'm going to ask how. I'm going to let God use it in the ways that he would see fit to do. God begins to open up ministry opportunities to people who are hurting, people are, who are in adversity, people who are wondering what the next day is even going to bring or how they're going to pay their bills or, or whether their child is going to get into the school or so many different things. And when they see you begin to triumph in your adversity, not that the adversity may necessarily get better or not get better, but that you are triumphing over that adversity. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? That even in the midst of it, you can, you can say, praise the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you can have joy in your life. Because I know, I know that people hurt. And I know that adversity comes. I know that people are scared. I know that people are uncertain. And I know that people want hope. And you and I can point them to that hope. Even through our adversity, it provides ministry opportunities for us. Here's what I know about adversity. I, I, I don't know how all of this will turn out, but I know God, and I know what His Word says. Maybe you know this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Isn't that a great verse? Now, it's a hard verse to apply in the middle of the junk, isn't it? Right? But that's why they call it faith. Because... Because in the midst of it, not everything that happens is good. I can't say this was a good event for me, or your diagnosis, or your job loss. Or, those aren't good things in themselves. But the great news is, is that we, we serve a God, and we know a God, or we can know a God, who is so far above all of that junk that he can actually, in some way that we will never understand, he can actually bring it and make some sort of good out of it. Which means that the focus, by the way, is primarily eternal. God's focus is always eternal. What's an eternal good he can bring out of it? Even at, at the possibility of a temporal loss, a temporal hurt, a temporal adversity. Temporal meaning temporary. It's, it's just, it's not going to be, right? But what's one of my sayings? Y'all know, I, I gotta, I'm going to write a book on all my, just my sayings. What's one of my sayings? All of this, all of, we're destined for dust, right? This is just destined for dust. So God works those things. He takes those things, good and bad, and he works them to an eternal good, right? Here's what the Apostle Paul said. We're going we're to close it down here real quick. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Now listen, in its context, Paul is talking specifically about uh, affliction or adversity that comes as a result of living for Christ, sharing your faith. And, and Paul was persecuted for that. When he went into cities, he got beat up, he got thrown in prison, he got stoned, he, he got run out of town, all of these things. And, and in its context, he is talking about affliction that comes as a result of, of living for Christ. Now, not all affliction that comes into our lives is necessarily a result of that. I don't think that all affliction that happens in the world, all adversity that happens in the world, is as a result of, of trying to live for Christ. Sometimes, people are just texting when they ought to be driving. But here's what I firmly believe, and I'll shut it down with this. Here's what I firmly believe. That all adversity 
no matter what the reason for it, all adversity can be used to bring glory to God, to bring others into a relationship with Him, and to bring me into a stronger relationship, a stronger knowing of Him. That's what I know. That's what I know about adversity. Nobody has said it better than Jesus. In uh, John chapter 16, he said, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. Hey, folks, have peace today. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, have peace today. In the world, you have tribulation. Oh, listen, some of y'all could talk for hours on the tribulation you're experiencing in your life. In this world, you have tribulation. But take courage. Take courage. I have overcome the world. All of us go through trials and tribulations, and some are more severe than others. We need to know that in those times that God has not abandoned us. And in fact, God is working even through our pain and suffering to do things that we probably can't even imagine. Thanks for joining us this week and sharing in our excitement to have Pastor Clay back preaching with us today. Join us next week as our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, continues. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7, and we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where you so so hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.